I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we are discussing To Be or Not To Be, a film chosen by Hillary. Yay. And the plot goes something like this. Joseph and Maria Toro operate and star in their own theater company in Warsaw, Poland. Maria has many admirers, including a young lieutenant in the Polish Air Force, Stanislaw Sabinski. When the Nazis invade Poland to start World War II, Sabinski and his colleagues flee to England while the Toros find themselves having to operate under severe restrictions, including shelving a comical play they had written about Adolf Hitler. In England, Sabinski and his friends give Professor Solecki, who is about to return to Poland, the names and addresses of their closest relatives so the professor can carry messages for them. When it's learned that Solecki is really a German spy, Sabinski parachutes into Poland and enlists the aid of the Torahs and their fellow actors to get that list back. Theatrical hijinks ensue. Yay! Uh-huh. <laughs> that was the most succinct synopsis I could come up with because... <laughs> Because a lot of things ensue. A lot of things ensue. Um, Hill, do you want to mix it up this week and do the bio next? Sure. I bioed Felix Bresser, who... Oh, yay! Yeah. I love that you chose him! <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, so we've we've seen him previously in Ninochka and The Shop Around the Corner. He's an adorable, like, lovable character actor who was born in on March 2nd, uh, 1892, in East Prussia. Um, his acting debut came in 1914, and he went on to act in many co- countries, including Austria, Denmark, England, France, Germany, Hungary, and Yugoslavia. He made his film debut in 1927 and began as a supporting actor, but soon established himself in leading roles in minor movies in all of these uh, European countries. After the Nazis seized power in 1933, Brussert, who was Jewish, left Germany and continued his career in German-speaking movies in Austria, where he was relatively safe at the time. And then after making 30 films in eight years, he moved to the United States. And his first American film was Three Smart Girls Grow Up, which was a Universal Pictures vehicle for Deanna Durbin. There was a big German community in Hollywood at the time, and that helped to establish him in, a, in the United States. Many of his earliest American films were directed by Ernst Lubitsch, including this movie. He found very great success in Lunochka, which was also put together by Ernst Lubitsch. He was one of the Russian emissaries following the lead character portrayed by Greta Garbo to Paris. And then after that movie, he, or he was signed to MGM, and then he worked for MGM for a number of years. He combined his mild his mildly inflected East European accent with a soft-spoken delivery to create kind, friendly characters, and he soon became a popular character actor in the United States. His largest role, apparently, was in an RKO B-musical comedy called Ding Dong Williams. After um, about 40 Hollywood pictures, he passed away very suddenly of leukemia at the age of 57, he was actually in the middle of filming his last film, which was called My Friend Friend Irma, which uh, came out in 1949. Uh, it was a movie version of a popular radio show. Radio show. Um, because he died during production, the studio had to reshoot his completed scenes with another actor named Hans Conried. And in the finished film, you can still see Bressert um, in some of the long shots that they didn't didn't refilm. That is a 
very short bio of a man who has made a mark on many of the pictures that we have seen. I really like him, and I think basically since the shop around the corner, I've had a soft spot for him. And it is true, like exactly how you described it, that he had this sort of humor, but also like a soft kindness about him mm-hmm. that... I mean, less so in Nanochka, he was kind of more slapsticky in that. But yeah. but in this uh, this movie and in the shop around the corner, I like that about him. Yeah, it's like a combination of silly and empathetic, and a little bit pathetic as well. But that yeah. makes him even more likable. Yeah, it was weird seeing him without the mustache. I know. I have to say. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I have some trivia. Okay. So this was Carol Lombard's final final film before her death on January 16th, 1942, at age 33. And since she died in a plane crash, the filmmakers decided to cut out a line that had her character ask, what can happen in a plane? Oh, God. Um, from this movie. Yeah. But I guess if this is going to be your last film, I was a, she was great in it, so. Yeah. It's very sad, Masterclass. Yeah. Yes. So interestingly, the biggest problem early in the shoot was Jack Benny's insecurity about acting in the central role <laughs> uh-huh. because he wasn't taken seriously as an actor. He was mostly just considered a comedian at the time, mm-hmm. and he couldn't believe that Ernst Lubitsch had not only cast him but was building the film around him. Uh-huh. And Lubitsch set him straight, saying, You think you're a comedian? You're not even a clown. You are fooling the public for 30 years. You are fooling even yourself. A clown? He is a performer that is doing funny things. A comedian? He is a performer that is saying funny things. But you, Jack, are an actor. You are an actor playing the part of a comedian, and this you are doing very well. But do not worry. I will keep your secret to myself. (laughs) And it sounded like like everything I read about this was that like across the board people really enjoyed making this movie, thought well of it, and were treated well. Yeah. Jack Benny told his friends that he considered this his one and only great film role. Hmm. And after the shooting of the film was complete, Carol Lombard told a lot of people that this film was the happiest experience of her career from start to finish. <laughs> Which is bittersweet. I know. Uh, Ernst Lubitsch also held this film in high regard, and he thought it was one of his best pieces of work. It was kind of controversial at the time that it came out because it satirized the Nazis, mm-hmm. and some some people thought that was an effective takedown. Some people thought it was insensitive because of the atrocities happening. I mean, this came out during the war, yeah. so it was ongoing. Mm-hmm. So in a letter to a reviewer for the Philadelphia Inquirer who had panned the movie, Lubitsch wrote, What I have satirized in this picture are the Nazis and their ridiculous ideology. I have also satirized the attitude of actors who always remain actors regardless of how dangerous the situation might be, which I believe is a true observation. It can be argued if the tragedy of Poland realistically portrayed in to be or not to be can be merged with satire. I believe it can be, and so do the audience, which I observed during a screening of to be or not to be. But this is a matter of debate, and everyone is entitled to his point of view. Hmm. Miklos Rosa refused to score the film because he disapproved of the satirical treatment of the Nazi threat. 
So they had to get someone else, um, Werner Heyman, to take over with the musical score. Hmm. And when Jack Benny's father went to see the movie, he was so upset at the sight of his son in a Nazi uniform in the opening scene that he stormed out of the theater and Jack had to convince him to come back and that it was satire and then he agreed to sit through the rest of it. Uh, and that's that's what I have. Hmm. So should we get into it? Yeah, I'm curious... And maybe, I don't know, necessarily want to, like, start with this question, but I, I don't know. I I was sort of struck by how this movie and Casablanca and um, The Great Dictator are all these, like, movies that are dealing with the war filmed as it was happening, you know, Obviously, in 1942, when this movie came out, they didn't know that the that Hitler was going to lose the war at that point, you know. And yet, they were able to um, make a movie that, like, that did, you know, make fun of the Nazis and you know belittle them and and I guess satirize them. And like, I found that totally fascinating. I don't know what did, what did you think about? Well, I actually think that's one of the most effective ways to take down. Mm-hmm authoritarians because it's something that they cannot tolerate Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like they take themselves so seriously and they do such terrible things and if you can ridicule them and make them look silly and incompetent and point out the contradictions in their behaviors and the holes in their beliefs yeah that's a really good thing Mm -hmm. and I think it can penetrate people's minds sometimes more than trying to make an ideological argument yeah (laughs) you know like people understand the humor and that they understand someone looking ridiculous sometimes <laughs> more than they're willing to think about, well, do I agree with this philosophy or do I agree with that philosophy? Yeah. So, I I mean, I, we should back up. To, so, I mentioned <laughs> Hillary chose yeah. this movie. Do you have a history with this movie? This was my first time watching it, so I want oh, to yeah. hear about you. I have seen it a number of times. Carol Lombard is one of Jen's favorite actors ever. They have the same birthday, obviously many decades different. Do, do you have arguments about Ingrid Bergman versus Carol Lombard? I I like my marriage. I am not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so you steer clear of that topic. That's right. We, yeah, we, we live and let live. Yeah, so I've seen it a couple of times. I, I think this is a movie that I saw, like, when I was a teenager and then saw it again when I was, like, a younger adult and have, we, like, we own a copy of it and have seen it, you know, regularly. And I, like, am interested in, you know, World War II history. So it, like, kind of, like, fits with that. So this was the first time you'd seen it? Yeah, and I really hadn't heard much about it either before this so I really enjoyed it and I mean I like Ernst Lubitsch I like the way that he handles the like Eastern European settings and stuff Mm -hmm. and I like his like sensibility so I kind of went into it thinking I was gonna like it Mm -hmm. um but it was really funny and it was very quick mm-hmm. like there was a lot to catch and I like it's good that you own I actually had trouble finding a way to watch this during shutdown oh really because it wasn't really streaming anywhere and I couldn't go to my library which is my usual go-to so oh, no <laughs> I mean eventually I found like some bootleg copy of it online <laughs> but um 
I think it's a movie that probably would benefit from rewatching because there was so much to catch. I don't think mm-hmm. I caught all of it. Yeah, I normally like write down like lines that I really like or that I like laugh out loud to, and it, like right away I could not keep up with it, so I just wrote hilarious dialogue. <laughs> that's all I could. That's how I you just wrote lol yeah, over right. and over. Again. <laughs> So witty. Oh, you know what else really delighted me about this film? That Robert Stack is in it because he all he was the host of Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know um, who that is. Who is that? He was the pilot. Ah. He was Robert Stack. Uh-huh. I was a big Unsolved Mysteries fan as a kid, and he was like the creepy host who was always like, who knows what happened to this woman who disappeared, and was that a UFO or a plane? We don't know, but we'll reenact it for you. And like, <laughs> I was I was really obsessed with him. I'd never seen him in anything like this. I didn't even recognize him at first because he's so young, but mm-hmm. I found that. So young um, and handsome. Pretty fun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Did you have trouble keeping up with all of the different, like, Slaskis and Linsky? and all like I found the name even when I was like doing my research I was like all right I have to be really careful with these (laughs) names because like the professor's name sounded very close to yeah yeah so I'm just gonna call the pilot Stan (laughs) as a nickname Stanislav I think that's part of the joke is that they were all just like long elaborate Polish names yeah and who's your favorite character was it Carol Lombard? Man, you're like putting me on the spot. I think so. Probably. Although what I liked about this movie was that there are like, like every last one of the characters are like necessary. Like, yeah. Like, you know, even the like, the Nazi colonel that they have to like go uh, visit concentration camp, Earhart, whatever. You know, he's ridiculous and, and, you know, has enough lines to like make him into a full character yeah i thought he was very funny yeah well and he was definitely an actor that like you know i think has been in a couple of movies that we've seen or other movies that i've seen so i like that there are also like some recognizable like character actors kind of forgettable but key side characters i liked how maria was so composed Mm -hmm. like she just get, kept getting thrown into all of these <laughs> situations where yeah. I would, like, immediately be freaking out and, like, yeah. trying to jump out a window or something. And she just went with it. Mm-hmm. And she had, like, the chutzpah to just pull it off. Yeah. Like, they could have had her killed at any moment. And she was just like, oh, I have to go back to, like, change my dress. And they were like, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and in some ways I like that they kind of set her up as someone who, you know, is a, you know, an actress who, like, is used to, you know, mollifying her, like, diva husband and then, you know, just, like, apparently tells bald-faced lies in, um, you know, magazine art interviews <laughs> so that, like, this man who's in love with her is like, oh, the farm and the, and the goldfish. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, <laughs> that that was pretty fun. And I thought that was like, oh, Hollywood's making fun of itself for the ridiculous yeah. PR machine. <laughs> yeah. But, like, then she's, like, because she's used to just being, like, having to deal with all of those things, like, dealing with a Nazi and, like, being able to, you know, be two-faced with the Nazis and, like, be a little bit slippery with them, she, like, has that experience. She, she knows yeah. how to do it. Like, that's her job that she does as an actress and so she's like perfectly comfortable being like I'm gonna go I gotta go get on a nice 
dress for this thing. Bye. Yeah, I liked how the movie showed that acting is actually a skill Mm -hmm. that is useful, you know, off the stage as well. They could just turn it on and Mm -hmm. instantly say the right thing, act the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think if people often think of it as like a frivolous occupation, but clearly not mm-hmm. in this case. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, what do we have at our disposal? We ha- at our disposal we have all of these like costumes from this the Nazi play that just got censored, so that we can't do. But you know that means we have this Nazi office. I mean, it was brilliant yeah. until people's egos got involved. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until Torah. What did you think of how Maria basically, like, entertained the pilot's overtures and, like, invited him back to her dressing room and stuff? I kind of saw that that was, like, an ego thing where she was, you know, like, oh, a charming young man takes an interest in me, a beautiful, famous actress. You know, like, sure. (laughs) Like, who am I to, um, to reject that? Um, but like the minute I couldn't possibly I couldn't possibly uh, yeah but then like the minute the pilot was like we love each other we're getting married she's like oh no <laughs> that's not what happens that's not that's not happening <laughs> yeah this is not a serious I mean, thing like... this is a fun thing <laughs> she got to have sort of a dalliance without it actually going anywhere yeah. Um, I thought it was a, a hilarious runner through the movie how everyone knew better who Maria was than Mm -hmm. Joseph. I know. It's hilarious. He was like, you've probably heard of me. And they're all like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. I made a note to myself, Carol Lombard getting hysterical is always a mood. (laughs) Which I don't even really know what, which hysterics I was like referring to when I wrote that, but... That, that's the gif I'm gonna send to my, uh, you know, coworkers when I'm I've had enough of a day. <laughs> like, do your coworkers appreciate no. <laughs> your Lombard gifts? Because no. I'm go- no, <laughs> I can't imagine anyone at my work would. <laughs> no, they'd be like, "What are you sending?" <laughs> Didn't you think it seemed kind of obvious, like in the scene where they're in England and the Polish Air Force is there, and then the professor. They're all like, oh, well, if you're going to be in Poland, maybe you could look at my family. And there's like 30 of them there. And he's like, you know what? Everyone just give me the names and addresses. Because yeah. on the, on this secret mission that I'm doing, I'm definitely going to have time to go to all these places yeah. under Nazi observation and talk to all of them. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't like, that that tipped off Stanislav. It was the fact that... He was like Maria Tura, and the guy didn't know who he was. And he was like, everybody knows who Maria Tura is. If you don't know who Maria Tura is, you are not actually a Pole. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I guess, I mean, that that's pretty famous if you can discern that someone's a spy. <laughs> no, because they I haven't know. heard of you. Because they haven't heard of you. <laughs> so, you know the, um, the Shylock speech? Mm-hmm. I love that they incorporated that into the movie. Yeah, I appreciated that the there were sort of layers of like Judaism in this movie, like the Jews in Poland, the Jews that appear in the in the Nazi play in the movie, and then the Jews in Shakespeare. That there's just sort of layered in. I really appreciated that. Yeah, and they never even actually come out and say that some of the characters are Jewish, but they still say it. Mm-hmm. in a way that I think 
like probably was meaningful at the time that this movie came out. Yeah, and that like so many of the you know Brassert was Jewish. I'm pretty sure Ernst Lubitsch was Jewish, but certainly so many of the people who were making this movie were involved in you know in the war effort and felt very strongly and emotionally tied to the war. I think that's really powerful. One of the jokes early on, one of the actors says to the other, you're something I cannot eat. And then the other guy says, are you calling me a ham? <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I know. That was like, that's just like jokes. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, I mean, was so good. I love that there were jokes like that. And then, you know, their play, the Gestapo play gets censored by the foreign office um nazis march in and um destroy the town and you know one of the actor characters says there's no censor to stop them and i just thought that was really powerful but then later there's like a a joke that someone says in reference to chura that says you know what what he did to shakespeare we are now doing to poland which is you gotta know what the Nazis were doing to Poland to, like, understand yeah. that means he's destroying <laughs> Shakespeare, which is such a burn. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then I also liked S- Professor Soletsky. It does, I don't know if you remember this, but he's talking, he's trying to explain to um, Maria Tura about, like, what Nazism is and that they're not so bad. And he says, we're just like other people. And that's like his like the basis of his definition of nazism and i was like that is so classic hate filled yeah. people who are like actually don't really believe that um you know they're trying to be like you know trying to make themselves just like look like normal human beings you know who are like open and accepting of lots of people when really like when it comes down to it they're genocidal maniacs strategizing yeah. to the takeover of the world they're just gaslighting people. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, we just executed a bunch of people out here, but we're just like other people. <laughs> I, know, like, I don't know about you, but that's not like me. No. It's interesting, like, watching this movie. I've been watching this uh, BBC series called World on Fire, mm-hmm. um, which is partially set in Poland, mm-hmm. like, before, during, and, like, when the Nazi occupation comes in. And, and... Really, it looked like they didn't show enough. That was one of the things I did, I thought was a little, like, light-handed in the movie, is not showing enough destruction and, like, what was going on on the street. Mm -hmm. Because the tone was pretty light overall. Yeah. Although there's the, like, there's the thing where those two characters were, you know, trying to be, like, they want to be, have bigger parts, and they're like, oh, we only get to carry a spear, and then, you know, Warsaw is, you know, bombed and uh, destroyed and they're, like, walking on the sidewalk and they're trying to, you know, shovel the snow or whatever and one turns to the other and says, all we had to do was carry a spear. And, um, and that, you know, I feel like that was that was the scene that was supposed to tell us, oh, that's, like, all, you know, everybody, everybody's heartbroken so that they could, like, set the tone of, like, what's happening. And, like, that's the context in which, like, things have changed. Yeah, and they, I I thought it was good that they did show the bombing, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, because um, in the first scene is there's, there's, like, this Polish bakery and this Polish diner and this Polish whatever store, whatever, and then 
once it's bombed, you see each of them again totally destroyed. Ugh, so awful. I, I mean, I think I said this in one of our recent podcasts, but I've been consuming so much World War II content <laughs> that I feel like I really need to like, sh- and this was not like a heavy one, but I need to shift to some other topics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm also, re- I'm reading the book, The Monuments Men right now, which is about oh. like the, the hunt for the art that the Nazis looted. Like, even that is kind of, like, a, like a, it's fairly lighthearted because, like, every once in a while they, like, mention the concentration camps. It's basically, it's not a book about the concentration camps, so they just refer to it. The art, it seems not very important compared to, like, the other stuff, but, like, the art is art is what helps like establish you know culture and yeah I mean I think that's one of the things I thought was interesting about this movie is they show how like part of the Nazi advancement was suppressing the art Mm -hmm. because I mean like they they censored this theater Mm -hmm. I didn't even know this until recently but they apparently like stopped people from playing jazz (laughs) Because they thought jazz was like an aberration, yeah. degenerate. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, you know all and all the other censorship, but like that's like such an obvious early sign of a an authoritarian regime taking over. So we need to be on the lookout. <laughs> like if people come for the podcast, <laughs> then that's what we know. It's time to get out. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Are you ready to talk about social justice? More than we are. Yeah, I mean, pretty much that's all we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, to me, what is, I said this right away, because it's something that I've been thinking about since we watched this movie, which is that, you know, it is so powerful to me that, you know, that this movie was made in the middle of the war. Like, the the war was not decided in 1942. You know, I was talking to Jen about it this weekend because, you know, it almost seems like some magical thinking to be like, okay, we're in 1942, we're gonna gonna imagine that we live in a world where, like, we are definitely gonna beat the Nazis and, you know, and we're not gonna, like, lose our lives by, like, creating this piece of art but on the other hand they have the privilege where they can live you know they they're in the united states so they're making a movie you know about the enemy and you know can like make this movie but on the other hand they're all they also like have the capacity to like make some art in the middle of this war where like they obviously know jews are being killed and obviously know that like whole cultures are being like destroyed and yet like their response to that is to make some art that has a like takes a stand about it whereas like we're living in the middle of a pandemic and i'm like (laughs) i can barely string two words together that's true and i was thinking that this is the kind of movie that i could see swaying opinion Mm -hmm. yeah in a way that's not like hitting you over the head with it yeah i think that's really powerful yeah so you're right, Hell, we need to go make pandemic art like right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know how we have all this extra time to do all that? All of our extra time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, what, well, did, what did you think about, like, the social justice elements of it? Oh, I mean, I thought it had a very clear message. Yeah. I mean, this is, 
of like just a social justice film. Movie, yeah. It's yeah, it's just it's just try, it's trying to take down the Nazis. It did it in a way that I thought was very compelling. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't I don't think we could question that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's sort of like it talked like about Judaism in the film too. Mm-hmm. In a way that I think some other American films kind of like shied away from because there was so much anti-Semitism mm-hmm. in the US mm-hmm. too. Yeah. That they're just like, yeah, our characters are Jewish and we're going to have them give a Shylock speech because we're just coming out with it. Mm-hmm. Even if like the Turas are not Jews themselves, they are obviously sympathetic to the cause. Some solidarity. Yeah. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. Well, what about the Bechdel test? <laughs> it's a very social justice movie. Don't think it passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> I mean, the only women I think who have a conversation are Carol Lombard and her dresser. Uh-huh. And they're talking about and- her husband and her possible lover. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't think it passes. (laughs) There's not... It's the classic setup of, like, you know, the old Hollywood movies where there's a cast of all these men and then one woman who's, like, the beautiful heroine and that's it. Right, and she might have a very strong character, but she's the only one. Yeah. Perfect. Not not in that way. (laughs) They're just... Even in, like... There weren't a lot of women even as, like, extras in this movie because so much of it was, like, Nazis and people playing Nazis. Like, I would say 90% men. (laughs) If not more. Well, are are you ready to rate at this point? Yes. And I'm just going to go ahead and give it a four and a half. Whoa. What about you? I mean, I think I would give it, like, probably a four. Uh Uh-huh. I thought it was a really good movie. I think people should see it. It was really fun. It held up well. You know, like, if I feel like if this movie came out now, it would still have an audience. Yeah, I think that's really true. Uh-huh. Especially if it came out right right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Particularly right, right now, now, like, this 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very 2020 um, appropriate movie. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, this is apropos of nothing, but I thought it was really funny when they got on the plane at the end, and then the guy dressed as Hitler just told the pilots to jump out of the plane, <laughs> oh, and they God, did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. I mean, that whole ongoing shtick of the, like, guy who just, like, looks enough like Hitler that he, like, puts the mustache on, and some people think that he is Hitler, and some people, like, know that he's just an actor. Yeah. Oh, and there were so many tropes from this movie that then, like, they originated in this movie, like, the the whole to be or not to be soliloquy and someone walking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, like, fake beard, like, pulling off the beard <laughs> thing. Like, all of that stuff. Yeah. Which you know I like those kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I say um, four stars, and I would recommend it to other people. In fact, I already did recommend it to several people <laughs> since I watched it a couple days ago. So. I like that you say all of those things, and then you only give it four stars. You don't join me at 4.5. Whatever, Emily. <laughs> hey, four you're, is very high for me. I know, you're a tough critic. <laughs> I'm like, um, I'm like, that was 90 minutes that I, like, appreciate that uh, I spent in that way, so sure, four and a half stars. Yeah, I mean... That's true. I would rewatch it. I think one of the things is, and I'm I'm probably alone in this, but I don't really like Jack Benny that much. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with you that, like, of his character was my least favorite part of this movie. I don't know if it was just 
Yeah, and it's funny because, like, I, I read up about it after I watched the movie, and when I heard that they basically, like, built the film around him, to me, after watching it, I was like, it really felt to me like this was Carol Lombard's film. Yeah, she had top billing. Yeah, like, like to me, she was the main character. Yeah. But I don't know if that, that might have just been... Well, she's the woman, so we're not building it around her. But um, yeah, and she also is the one who died. So there's yeah, probably uh, a lot of um, post. Like you know that watching it, or I don't know if you knew that that when you were watching it, but I knew that when I was watching it. So like that was the thing that I cared about the most was like just trying to soak in as much Carol Lombard as I could. Yeah, I didn't know that this was her last movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, we, we've bioed her before, right? I think that we bioed her when we watched My Man Godfrey. Okay. Which is why I didn't talk about her bio now. I was just thinking about, uh, yeah, like you were saying, so many of the people involved in this were involved in the war effort, and she had this tragic death related to the war bonds. But, but it did, I wonder if in post-production they were like, well, since this is her last movie, we're going to like make sure that she is at the center of it. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, across the board, I liked it, Hill, and I'm glad you picked it. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yay. I really liked this one. And then what was the Danny Kay one we watched? Um, the Court Jester. Yes, The Court Jester. I feel like you like really understand my sense of humor <laughs> and you keep like choosing good movies. I feel like I thought you hated The Court Jester. No, I liked, I recommended it to someone we so, there were certain things about it that were annoying, but a lot of it was really funny. <laughs> I'm going to go back and see what you rated, Corchester, Oh no, don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Maybe my memory just softens mm-hmm. things. You just became right. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> So, Hill, what is our next movie? So, our next movie is a movie that you picked, which is called Neptune's Daughter. Yay! And neither of us have seen this, so it'll be totally fresh. Yay! May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow the Screen Sirens on Twitter, at the Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.